0: Welcome to linked up breaking boundaries in education, a podcast that focuses on what is happening in education today, connecting everyone to the movers and shakers that are breaking boundaries in the education arena. Hello, this is Jamie and Jerry from linked up breaking boundaries in education podcast. Now we are trying to branch out into different platforms and expand our conversation that is one-sided in, in, uh, podcast form into clubhouse so we can have dialogue with people. And we have just really been fortunate to meet some really great people from around the world. So this we get amazing global perspectives that way.
1: And uh, Jerry met today's guest in that way. So we have had a lot of conversations with Lottie And she actually was on a podcast with us. And we continue to communicate behind the scenes with her. And sometimes she sees things that we're doing or suggests great people to be on our podcast. And Alan is the result of a great conversation with Lottie. Alan does some really interesting work and a very deep dive into gender, ethnicity, and global leadership. Very fascinating, the work that he's doing and some of the findings that he's getting into. So, Alan, welcome to the Linked Up podcast. We are so happy to have you here today. We know you have to get up earlier being on the West Coast, but um, good morning and welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in education and what brought you to this particular topic?
2: Sure. Um, So... I have been in education for about 25 years and I've been overseas for about 20 years. And so um, what prompted me to get into this work uh, was because I when I was work, I I worked in California for many years, worked in Washington, D.C. as well. And uh, I see a lot of people of color, LGBT teachers uh, in different areas. And when I went overseas, that changed dramatically. And so very white international school teachers, and then uh, and I was one of the very few people in there. And when I moved into leadership, uh, it became uh, even a stark difference between uh, white uh, educators and also uh, white leaders and people of color as well. And so very few uh, of us out there. And so I dedicated my doctorate work into this area. I said, so I started studying gender and ethnicity in international school leaders. And that's what prompted it, everything. And what uh, got me going was um, when I went to conferences and I would look for people like me and there weren't that many of us. And so when I started dedicating the the work to it, uh, I found uh, that there are not that many of us in general. And so the data shows that there is a huge gap in uh, in there, uh, in the data with gender and also with ethnicity, uh, which I can share a little bit later as well. But this is basically how I got into the work.
0: That's interesting to me too, because we've done podcasts before on students and their perspective when they don't have um, teachers who look like them, when they live in a world uh, that that doesn't reflect who they are. And um, I can't remember, it was Ken Shelton who told us about this, but I can't remember the woman who phrased this, but windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors, yeah. right? And so you know, I think it's interesting. We always think of the importance of that for children, but even as adults, I think you have uh, feelings about that, right? You, you, there's, there's something lacking in your work and the way you go about your, your day and your world.
2: Yeah. So yeah, the mirror, the mirror concept and sliding doors is really important for kids. And so it's really important that not just in uh, the US, but also internationally. So if you were to pick a school in Asia, uh, which is uh, where I'll be working, and I worked in in India and uh, in Shanghai, the majority of the teachers uh, were white. Uh, You wouldn't even have Indian teachers, you have some Indian teachers, some Chinese teachers, but the majority of the the teachers are there, uh, really uh, very white. And so there's a lot of pushback now, even from kids, especially high school kids saying, you know, we, we need more perspectives. And then and, and then you look in the leadership roles, uh, there are a lot of men in leadership, and I'm speaking as a man. And so um, you know, I think I would just connect out back to the data. Um, so ISS did the uh, International School Services did a, a survey recently uh, and this is this year. and I did my my data uh, three years ago. So if you look at the data of leaders in general, from principals at that level, and that is, let's say 50% of the uh, leaders are female and 50 are men, you, about the same, maybe slightly more women. But when you move up into the superintendent level, the director level, during, for my data, I, it was actually it dropped down to 40% women and ISS even dropped even worse, 25% women. And so why is that the case when you have so many principals, director of the teachers and learning, and it dropped dramatically, we're talking about 50% in the most recent data to 25% of women are in that top position. Why? So we need to ask those questions. And then this is where we come in. And uh, in, there's a lot of implicit bias, recruitment bias training later on as well, which I can touch, uh, touch on uh, also.
1: Right. Have you found any findings as to why there are so many more men in the field than women?
2: Well, there's this. I mean, we have been trained. Uh, in our world that men and leadership is the equivalent. You, know, you see men and you see leaders. Right. Um, Harvard does the implicit bias um, uh, association test. And so if you actually find the implicit association test from Harvard, uh, let's say, for example, you were choose the word science. 75% is associated to, to men, not women. And right. Yeah. And so, and this is, they have a, a, a collection of data from thousands of uh, people doing those tests and so yeah we've been trained to say that leaders are men we've been ha- we've had that implicit bias ingrained in us and so that's why it's a tough job for women to get that top position in schools it's the same data in us in, in us schools as well only 25% uh, of women are are superintendents in in schools in the US
0: you know it's funny even when you look at um just marketing graphics you always see um like you know, handshakes of of like of men hand men's hands, or I mean, just even in those things, I, I noticed that. do you think and maybe this is an implicit bias on my part, but I'm just thinking,, um, you know, women have babies. women often will stay home with their children, um so they stop their career at being teachers often sometimes they'll move forward to being a principal maybe superintendent is to um you know goes later into the evenings um is that some does that sometimes play a role that role of a women woman being the mother and the caretaker
2: of course there's a lot of bias against uh, women with children uh, already uh, that exists in the world but i think if you actually look at the layer of uh of principals, you know, after being a principal, you become, you know, a head of school or a, a superintendent, work for a central office. But if you look at that data set alone, most of those women are usually older in their 40s, sometimes even 50s. Uh, so when they stop having children already. And so if you look at that data alone, and then to the next level, there isn't that there isn't an equivalent of 50% up at the, up the superintendent level or the director, because it's still a low number. And the question is really, in our society in our world it is not uh, it is there is a huge bias against women in leadership And so that's what you have to really deconstruct. And this is where the training goes into those who are selecting the committee that are the committees that are selecting those superintendents, those superintendents, and also those directors in schools. They need to go through training themselves because they have had their their own bias. They don't even know. That's why it's called implicit bias, unconscious bias. So they don't know that when they're looking at a profile of a man, they're like, they are veering themselves toward that man rather than the woman and looking at the experience of the woman uh, outshining and you know there also are research out there that women usually undersell themselves and men oversell themselves and so um and so there is that that uh, that um bias as well and women say you know well, i'm not qualified for the job because they say they see one thing and they're like well i'm not that person and, man, and a man would look at that job it's like, i got this i'm gonna i don't know it but i'm gonna Pretend i do I do and I'll get that job, and so there's a lot of that in in our in our society as well, and so it's just something that we have to undo, uh, and it's not easy, you know, to unlearn something. It's much harder than to learn something.
1: That's true. You brought up a um, a memory for me. I had applied for a superintendent position, and the team that was running the, the search called me back and said, oh, my goodness, we heard a comment we had not heard before. One of the board members came to the search team and said, I can't believe how many girls applied for this. <laughs> And um, the search team said, they're not girls. Yeah, they're
0: not girls.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they are very educated women that know what they're doing. Yeah, And, you know, he said, I just want you to know this could be what you're stepping into. Because they would never have said there's so many boys applying for this. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so you just brought up that memory for me. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. yeah. And, and it's unfortunate that that's what we mean, like by. Uh, the world view women very differently, uh, and so it's such, so. Just imagine a woman of color. So now you have two things going against you, and so that's why uh, it's really challenging for those who are going into the positions and applying for that. And even when you so you look at the people of color in the U.S., it goes down to I think three to uh, three to five percent of people of color are in superintendent roles. And so if you look at our population, it's a lot higher than that. Uh and so it, there should be an equivalence of when you look at the data if it's fifteen percent of people of color, there should be fifteen percent of people of color in the superintendent role
1: absolutely, and I think women do have the imposter syndrome and and feel like um they're not adequate in a place um I know probably Jamie and I have both gone through that in our life, you know, feeling oh, I'm I'm just not there. But then sometimes being in meetings with all men, I think, mm, I think I might be there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> after I it's hear the wow. conversation. <laughs> yes. I think we're underestimated yep. many times. Sure Certainly. Yes. Be. Definitely.
0: Yes. Yes. And we underestimate ourselves, agreed. Um, so I'm just trying to think of ways to combat this. So one thing that I was wondering is, could there naturally be a shift, gradual, probably? Um, because and in, in you made me think of this, Jerry, when you said that um, you were referenced as a girl. Um, I feel like that's like, um, like. <sighs> I don't know. Older gentlemen perhaps may have that mindset, right? Because they grew up with that, right? So are we are we eventually going to kind of remove ourselves from that mindset because it's going to be washed out at some point um, as we as we grow. Um, I don't know. Could that ho- hopefully be the case? But then also, I wonder if um, we might. There's more awareness now too because of certain research that you're doing, is mm-hmm. an example.
2: Yeah, I think. Uh, I think it would be. It's it's a slow process, and it's a lot of work uh, as well. And so, I think. Um, the training I do, I do implicit bias training and I also do recruitment bias training for international schools. So uh, schools would call me up, ask me to do a training for the entire team. Uh, And so what they go through is actually, uh, they have to understand their own implicit bias. So when you look at a name, I'll give an example. Let's say you're looking at a name of a, let's say a gentleman who's 59 years old and he's applying for a tech coach position. There's a huge bias already there already. Why? Because he's 59 years old and let's say, let's say a woman, 59 years old and a tech coach. We see tech and young people. We don't see tech as older people. So that's like, we we have that bias like in there in our head without even knowing it. And so how do you undo that when you already say, I'm going to push that application aside without even properly looking at it because of ageism? Right. and so, if it, if, so yeah so very much so so we it's really you have to raise, raise the making the conscious the unconscious conscious so in order to do that you have to practice you know so for example i uh, alan fan is my my professional name my real name is long long spelled it's awful in english it's great in vietnamese but when i started out my career i applied as long fan it was terrible i did not get very many uh, positions because they see long fan how like how does this person speak uh, like speak english you know i have a degree from a university now i have a P, now i have a doctorate from a university in england but if i use long fan to apply for a position in, internationally i wouldn't get jobs
0: so, you know what, it's so funny you said that, because I just said, perhaps we will actually grow out of this over time through awareness. But then as you said that, it just made me realize, no, we haven't, because my grandfather came here from Italy and had his name as Vito, but he had to change his name to John because of the same thing. So how this was in the early 90s. 19- 1900, So we really haven't evolved
2: much at all. Not evolved much because that there's still again there is that association with uh, names, nationalities, uh, with the English language. There's so many bias uh, 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 out there, and that's what we have to work on. You know, we in order for us to make that shift, you have to raise all the unconscious conscious, so that you can work against those the, those biases. And so uh, when I run through the workshop there, I I go through uh, uh, Milton Bennett's continuum of uh, of bias and anti-bias work. And really, it's really about accepting the the differences uh, uh, around the world that you and I have different perspectives, we're all Americans. Right. And so you say, well, you're American. You should know that. I'm like, well, it's a a white American, Mexican American, uh, Asian American. We all have different perspectives. So you lump everybody into that generalization. Now you have negated everyone else's experience. So you will say, oh, Jerry, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're a white woman. uh, You should know this or, or you're a white person. You should know this, but you experience as a white woman is very different from a white man. Absolutely. Yeah. And you yes. say we talked, we talked about you from the, you know, from the Midwest, you know, from the area. Yeah. Saying how that like if you see that that oh you, oh she's from the Midwest, I'm not sure. You know, like she could be exactly a, a supporter of other people who were like, well, no, you just kind of associate one thing to another that has no association, and that's an implicit bias.
1: Well, the other thing that I hear from a lot of friends is. I'm colorblind. I don't see color. And that is not helpful.
2: No, not at all. So basically, why is it not helpful? Because if you see, okay, if you are a black woman going through life, if you don't see her blackness going through life, you've negated all of her experiences as a black person. So what she goes through in life is so different from what I go through and what you go through. And so now you don't see color you have negated all of her experiences in life for years and so accept that her experience is very different and if you are a good friend you would ask hey tell me what happened to that with that situation and empathize and that's part of the the continuum is to learn how to empathize uh there's a great video about um a, a pianist uh can't think of his name right now where he was talking to his grandfather uh, was opening a, a, a business and applying for a loan back in the 1950s. The and he went to one bank after another, after another, and after another, could not get a loan. Of course, there's a Black man in the 50s applying for a loan. So what did he do? He only sent it in to the bank. Oh, First thing he got it, he got the loan immediately. Because, well, guess what? They didn't see the, color, the Black man applying for the job. For the uh, for the loan, they saw the name and the business looked good, so they got the loan immediately. And so that's why I mean, yeah, it's fascinating that way, right? So don't don't deny people of their experiences, even same thing with gender.
0: So we have to keep that in mind. Uh, we have to um, accept people and use empathy um, to have a lens into perhaps what their lives are. Acknowledge that but at the same time, remove any bias that may exist, perhaps because of that. So there's a balance that really needs to be in place. I could see why coaching like that you do is really important.
2: Yeah. It's not easy to be very honest with me. So I have a doctorate in this area. I still have to fight myself when I I look, I do something. So I have to say, okay, Alan, you're looking at this, you have to look at this through as a lens very, very carefully because you're looking at like, you know, let's say I see a, a woman from China applying for an English position. I have to fight that bias that I have, uh, that I see uh, for myself. And so this is somebody who's, I feel like, very well-trained, <laughs> well-educated about this. And I have to say, okay, let's look at her experiences. look, let's go through her references and see if she is actually the best candidate for the job. And so I put everything aside and then look at her uh, as a candidate, not because she's Chinese and not because she's uh, a woman either. You know,
0: remove the stereotype, view the person. Correct. Yeah, yeah. No, and and I guess I guess it's it's hard. It it can be hard because we've kind of, um, you know, And and when I say stereotype, but at the same time, as you said, we still need to um celebrate and embrace their background. Yeah. So it, I can see how uh, this coaching is necessary. And it's funny because I work with um, international schools every day, and I do see exactly what you are talking about. I see uh, mainly male in technology. So mainly male leaders, um, and um, may, a lot of them are American. Uh, so not all, but, um, and it depends on the part of the world too. Yeah. Um,
2: but and so this is, uh, this is the reason why I actually started a website, a recruitment website for international school teachers. So for people of color and LGBT, uh, candidates. So I call this my pandemic project, you know, people do different things. As yes. <laughs> so I did this. So I started a website and actually it was developed by a uh, young women who, uh, created the website for me. And so I said, you know, I need to find uh, women who develop these websites and there's, uh, there are Asian women developing uh, developers. I said, fantastic, you hired. And um, it's a recruitment website where you can actually go onto the platform. As a school, you look for uh, people of color and also LGBT candidates and LGBT candidates and um, uh, people of color educators can sign on and then we connect the school and the candidates together. So they post jobs and they apply for it. It's, I just opened, you know, launched it two months ago. We have about 250 candidates and about 65 schools now. Uh, wow. So it's a good, yeah, it's a really good uh, start. And so it's called the diversity, uh, diversityaffair.org if you want to look it up. Uh, and so it's going to be something that uh, we're hoping to, that it continues to grow. And it is something that we want to continue to do to, um, develop over time, and hopefully this becomes a good platform for international educators.
1: Right. Are you finding that there's interest in this, that international schools are really searching and seeking diversity?
2: Very much so. I think because the whole George Floyd uh, uh, that brought DEI work into the international school realm, and actually a lot of it came from students saying, you know, what are we doing about it? Mm -hmm. How can we make a difference? And really the, school, the students are the one pushing the envelope to get our, our the educators to, to do the work. And so this is why the DEI work has been uh, really propelled quite a bit in international schools. That's why, you know, I'm, people are uh, seeking me out to do the implicit bias and the group bias training uh, for their schools to diversify their faculty. It's not good enough to say, oh, we're just going to find the people coming to us. They're pushing us to say, hey, you need to go look for some more some other candidates, you know, especially in the pipeline of, uh, of leaders, you know? And then I actually, the conversation I had this morning at 5 a.m. was with AAIE, uh, basically the uh, Associate of International School uh, Development, and um, talking to them saying, hey, if you have a finalist pool of principals, make sure you have one woman in there, make sure you have a person of color and that third person, whoever you want. But if you do that as a minimum, then that means you're forced to go out to look for a woman. You're forced to go out to look for a person of color as part of your pool. Because if you just wait for people to come to you, it's easy. Then you're just like, hey, if a pool of men, we're just going to have that. And the lack of perspective from the gender and also the ethnicity, um, we owe it to our kids to have more perspectives in the school than just from men or from just white men.
0: That's really important, not just to kind of put it out there, wait for people to apply, because I think it goes back to our other conversation. Some people may think, I'm not qualified, or I don't think I would get that, right? So then we're in this vicious cycle that way. So instead, be proactive. If you really care about making your staff diverse, especially when you have a diverse student population, especially when the students, as you said, are asking for this, then you actually have to be proactive and go out and do that. But then layering that is learning how to properly interview people as you said and that coaching is what I guess is the the need the how that is going to combat that right to make sure that you are properly you have you have a wide lens into learning about this person. Yeah. Um
2: and the, wow. the the one thing that uh, I get pushed back on is, you know, I'm not going to hire the person because the person is a color or the person is a woman. I'm like, absolutely not. You, do, you don't compromise your your own principles or a good candidate. And that's such a, honestly, it's a cop out when you, people say that. Like, I'm not going to compromise my school, my integrity to hire a person of color. I want to hire the best person of color. Yeah, best person. And we, if you actually uh, go out to seek for them, you will find them. But if you don't do it, you're not going to find them. If you're looking in the same place, you're going to find the same people. So do it differently.
1: I have a a kind of personal question to ask. Like if I'm wanting to really reflect on my implicit bias, do you have a first step that I can take to, to, or a question I can ask myself, or how can I really reflect on that so that as I move forward, my decisions are thinking about diversity
2: yeah so um for implicit bias there are lots of you, you things you can think about just about yourself you know uh if you think about just look at names alone mm-hmm. there's a there's a, 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 a bias already with names right we see a mario Gonzalez. you know there it, you have an association with that uh and so if you actually look at gender there's a bias Age, there's a bias. So if you are going to contact somebody or you're going to have um, uh, trying to reach out to somebody, just think about yourself. Say, hey, this person, this name says this, this person's education is this, this is that. Think about what bias you might have already. If you're just even doing that, that's going to help quite a bit if you're raising your own awareness. And so if you have an associate, like, you know, when you meet somebody, um, and you there, the stature might be you know, as a smaller person. There's a lot of bias with height, you know, there's, a, you know, yes. a, you know, like a short woman, you know, there is a not, Hi, that's me. <laughs> you know? There's an association of like, oh, she can't be a leader, you know? Right.
1: Yeah. And I read somewhere that our presidents have all been, most of them have been over six foot tall. Uh, they're tall men. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yes. And so there's a lot of uh, association with that. Yeah. So actually, it's honestly, when you when you see someone, you think something, just check it. Just say, hey, I thought this about this person. Why? Right. right. Yeah. Why did you do that? If you actually even just ask your question, just why, then you raise your own awareness uh, uh, into that. All right, that's easy. That's easy. Yeah, that is easy. I like that. I like that. Yes, because it all starts
1: with ourselves. I mean, we all have to, to do this work independently as well as through our district or our leadership. So I love that. What lessons have you learned through your research that could really impact all educators?
2: Oof, there's so much. <laughs> That's <Yes>. another podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's
1: a whole nother podcast. Well, yes.
2: <laughs> and so um, for me is that um, the biggest lesson I feel like has co- uh, comes down to some of the findings that, that I had in uh, in the global leadership. So um, going back to uh, the data earlier is actually when, when you ask people to fill out surveys, I actually questioned my own data when I did the doctorate. So the data that I had uh, was, you know, I had almost 300 people answer the the survey and about, I want to say 77 were heads of schools and uh, 40% or so were women and 60% were men, right? But we're talking about the leadership is about 50-50. I question my own data saying it's because more women answer my data than men. Yes. It doesn't benefit... It does not benefit men to answer this survey.
1: Oh, not worth their time.
2: Not worth their time. So I actually questioned my data. And so when ISS did the data and it dropped down to 25%, okay, that's, I say, that's more accurate. Wow. That's interesting. So why would, you know, why would a man say, you know, hey, this is good for me. Why would I do it? But you have an enlightened, more enlightened men who are willing to say, hey, I need to change the, this, Right. In order to make sure that I have more women in leadership, so that you have better perspective later on as well into that. Yes. My big learning is like not all men are, are there. Not all, well, all, you know, are there.
1: You're right. And, and, but we're making strides, I hope.
2: I'm hoping too. So yes. One, one podcast uh, at a time.
1: One (laughs) podcast at a time. Yes. And
0: line you up for a couple more then too.
1: (laughs) Right. We've already discussed uh, implicit bias training and um, having a full podcast on that, which I think would be incredible. But until we do that, we'll start asking ourselves those questions to keep us in line. Yes. So Alan, we always like to, um, well, we don't always get to it, but sometimes we do. We, End with a final question, mm-hmm. where we ask our guests, in all of your work, what has become clear?
2: That this type of DEI work uh, for for schools, um, it's not a, a one session, uh, it's not a one time thing. Uh, so it's an ongoing work, and it's hard work, and it's not easy work because you know, like you know, when we're recruiting for women, we're recruiting for people of color. And you're like, it's, it, it's exhausting. Uh, and it's also just imagine it's also exhausting for the candidates.
1: Yes, it is.
2: Uh, it's it exhausting is exhausting when you are keeping getting rejection one after another. Uh, and so it's exhausting. So for a woman of color, so I'm going to do I'm going to throw in there a lesbian, a woman of color, you have three strikes against you. Okay. Let's say you also have a wife and kids, and now you have a family going with it and so those are the things that is exhausting for that one person so if you are going to make sure that you are giving that person any justice be sure that you are uh, make sure you honor everything that she goes through that she's a woman she's a person of color and that she's a lesbian so that alone if you actually understand that perspective and ask her how is the recruiting going for you that question alone will just honor her as a person. And so that, that I think is going to be really important uh, as we continue to do this work. And so and it's not easy. You know, I'm a person of color. I'm also a completely open out, uh, out and I'm also married to a man. So when I go recruiting internationally, trust me, I've had many doors shut in my face uh, along the way as well, just due to the fact that I'm Asian or due to the fact that I'm married to a man.
0: Right. You know, but you, but you said it before, and I think this is the basis and Jerry and I have heard this in different conversations on different topics in our varied podcasts. It's all based on empathy. I think if yes. we start there, I think we can learn and grow and evolve, but we have to be open. Uh, and our hearts have to be open. We have to have that empathy. And I, I, I it i for me i feel like it's easy if you can step back and just view everything through that lens um and because i mean i maybe because i'm a former teacher and that's that was my no matter what i taught that is what i taught every day is teaching students how to be empathetic but um we lose that sometimes as adults and um i think if we just step back and have view our, have our lives, everyone else's lives, even viewed through that lens of empathy, I think it's gonna make a big difference, but we have to be mindful
2: of Yeah, that. and going back to the question I posed before about asking the why is actually, now it's a question, is like, hey, what would, if you asked yourself for perspective and empathy, what would a woman think? What would a person of color think? What would a man of color think? It's actually, well, what did the, would a child think? You ask it through a different lens, And you create more empathy for yourself as well. So ask that question.
1: Right. This has been very enlightening. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for the, the reflection and the ideas as to how to reflect. And I love, too, that you have this website to connect people around the world. In fact, I have a couple of friends that I am going to send them the website because they're looking for this kind of opportunity yeah, yeah. and they are in the LGBTQ community. So we're very happy to send that to them. Yeah, so thank you so much for spending time with us. And we will be having you back again for future conversations and, and on um, clubhouse as well yeah yes you're yeah. a pro at clubhouse
2: yeah I, I know how to do clubhouse now so i did a couple i did a few sessions for them so
1: yes absolutely and i understand that the next time we talk you may be living somewhere else in the world
2: I might be in vietnam the next time we talk so it's okay yes uh, yeah. yes
1: we can still communicate so
2: you know, figure out time
1: Our, you bet. Yes, yes. You bet. Well, thank you, Alan, so much for being on the show. And um, we'll make sure that we get the website so that we can put that in the show notes for everyone. And then we will be on Clubhouse continuing this conversation.
2: All right. Thank you.